Well, good morning. We are here in week five of our series called Rise, the Psalms of Ascent. We've been taking the last five weeks, including today, to look through these wonderful psalms. And I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed our time spent in the psalms. I'm a little bit sad that it's coming to an end today, and I think that we'll have to come back to the psalms another time and spend more time journeying through these rich chapters of Scripture. But today we're going to be wrapping up the Psalms of Ascent that we've been looking at, these songs that were sung by the Israelites on their way up to Jerusalem for feast times. And so we're going to conclude today by spending time in Psalm 124 and examining what we can learn about the Lord and his character and about who we are in his eyes through this psalm. But before we begin today, let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you so much for the psalm that we'll be looking at today. Lord, thank you for giving us your word so that we can learn from it, so that we can grow from it. And Lord, I pray that you would give us open ears and soft hearts to hear what you have to say today. Lord, may nothing that I say get in the way of what you wish to declare. But as you move today, Lord, may we be open to your spirit's movements. And Lord, may we be changed from the inside out. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, when I lived in Denver, Colorado, I remember going and meeting with an older gentleman because I was trying to figure out what was next for the season of my life. I was starting to feel like it was time to move out of youth, young adult ministry. And as I was examining different jobs, I met with someone to offer me some more wisdom. And I specifically remember talking about salvation and the Lord's work in our life and how he talked about this doorway that you walk through as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And how he described it as opening the door on his own accord, walking through the door, but then turning back and seeing all the ways in which the Lord had journeyed with him throughout his life. And I was thinking about that this week, looking back on my life, all the ways in which I've seen the Lord work in my life. The times in which I've seen the Lord provide for me in phenomenal ways. The ways I've seen the Lord protect me in times of danger or harm. The ways in which I've seen the Lord guide me in specific ways that I wouldn't have hoped. I remember graduating out of high school, and uh, the next year when I was in college, I went to get an internship doing youth ministry, and I was really excited to be an intern at the church I grew up at. A lot of people I knew had done this, and so I had applied to be an intern and thought, that's the perfect spot for me. And yet the youth director at the time decided that wasn't the perfect spot for me. She thought it would be great for me to go and get experience at another church. At the time, I felt so frustrated because that's where I was supposed to be. And yet, as I went to another church, as I gained new experiences, I got to work in a church that I wasn't familiar with. I got to run a program that wasn't what I was used to. I saw the wisdom in her decision, and I grew in ways that I don't think I would have grown if I would have stayed where I was. When I was at church in Portland, we went through layoffs in 2007 and staff reductions And it was during that time that I saw God's hand as he confirmed my call to ministry. As people were being laid off and people were questioning whether they want to even work in the church, I felt the Lord say distinctly, this is where I want you. This is where I'm leading you. This is the calling into pastoral ministry that I am continuing to confirm in your life. You see, when I look back on my life, I can see these moments. There's many more where God has shown up where God has guided me in real ways, where God has provided for me. And I'm sure that when you look back on your life, you can remember those moments as well. If you've been following the Lord, you probably have your own list of times if you were to sit down and think about it, of where you've seen God show up in miraculous ways, of ways you've seen God provide when you needed him, 
in ways you've seen the Lord protect you or protect those who you care for and prayed for. God's provision is great. And I can truly say that for me, if it wasn't for the Lord being with me, I would not be where I am today. I would not be the man I am today. I wouldn't have the family I have today if it wasn't for the Lord. It's an important thing for us to reflect upon these times of God's provision in our life. But to not stop at just reflecting upon it, but to praise God for it and to tell others these stories as well. Today's psalm, Psalm 124, does just that. It takes the opportunity during this psalm of ascent, during this journey to Jerusalem, to call praise to the Lord for his great provision for Israel, to celebrate what God has done for them, how he has carried them throughout their history. So as we read this psalm, as we dive into it today, may it cause you as well to praise the Lord for how he has carried you, for how he has provided for you, and for how he has loved you throughout your years. Let's read Psalm 124. You can find it on the screen behind me, or you can find it on your Bible in the pew or on your phone, however you want to. You can follow along. This is what Psalm 124 says. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Amen. Well, this is a psalm that is attributed to David, written for the people of Israel as they journeyed up to Jerusalem during a feast time. And this is an important psalm, and it's a psalm that has a rich history when you look throughout the years of people who have clung to this psalm. In fact, Andrew Bonar in his book, Christ and His Church, says that in the year 1582, this psalm was sung on a remarkable occasion in Edinburgh. An imprisoned minister, John Dury, had been set free, and as he journeyed out of the prison, he was met and welcomed on entering upon the town by 200 of his friends. This number increased until he found himself in the midst of a company of 2,000 men and women who began to sing as they moved up the long high streak. Now Israel may say, etc., they sang in four parts with deep psalmody, all joining in the well-known tune and psalm of 124. They were much moved themselves, and so were all who heard. One of the chief persecutors is said to have been more alarmed at the sight and the song than at anything he had seen in Scotland. The power when people join their voices together, when people proclaim what the Lord has done, was evident on that night. Well, this psalm starts off in verse 1 with the author calling to the people of Israel, If it had not been the Lord who is on our side, let Israel now say... So right away, we start with this picture of the Lord's care, the Lord's kindness for Israel. And that's the focus of this whole psalm, really, is this idea of the Lord's deliverance, how he has cared for his people and how he has provided for them. And so the psalmist wants to gather the people who are with him in this proclamation, to not just be one individual singing praise to the Lord for what he has done, for the fact that he was on their side, 
but to call all of those in his midst together to proclaim this as a community. This picture that we see here as they declare what the Lord has done for them shows God's sufficiency. Is a reminder that he is able, that God is the deliverer. Not Israel, not an individual, not even King David, but that it was God who is sufficient and God who alone is able. The psalmist intentionally repeats that phrase, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. It's not, uh, it's not without intention that he states this so that that repetition builds for Israel, so that it drives down deep the importance of the Lord being on their side. Martin Luther, in speaking of this psalm, says this repetition is not in vain, for whilst we are in danger, our fear is without measure. But when it is once passed, we imagine it to have been less than it was indeed. And this is the delusion of Satan, to diminish and to obscure the grace of God. David, therefore, with this repetition, stirreth up the people to more thankfulness unto God for his gracious deliverance, and amplifies the danger which they had passed whereby we are taught how to think of our troubles and afflictions past, lest the sense and feeling of God's grace vanish out of our midst. You see, it can be easy once we get through troubles, once we get through trials, to forget the ways in which God has provided, to forget the ways in which God has rescued and redeemed, to forget our story and how God has woven his hand throughout that story. And so the people of Israel are being called to remember to reflect upon who the Lord is in their midst. Think what would have happened to Israel had they been left to their own devices, if the Lord had not been on their side. Israel left to Pharaoh and his hosts in the time of Moses. What would have happened to Israel? Or perhaps left to the Canaanites in the time of Joshua. What would have happened if God had not intervened? Or the Midianites in the time of Gideon when God so powerfully moved through Gideon and his small army. Or Judah, left to the Assyrians in the time of Hezekiah. If God would not have intervened, if God would not have been on the side of the Israelites, we can think about what the implications would have been if Israel had ceased to exist, if the line of David had not been established, if Christ had not come through that line because the nation of Israel had been swallowed up by her enemies. The implications would have been great. And yet, God was on their side. So we must be intentional to not forget the role that the Lord has played in our past as well as we remember that the Lord is on our side. Moses, in fact, instructs Israel to do this as a regular part of their lives, to reflect upon what has happened in their past. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 19, it says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The importance of telling the story of what God has done in our lives is so valuable my family and I, as part of our Sabbath dinner practices, we do some sort of small devotional and we decided to take a season to talk about God's provision, to put this into practice because it's easy to forget about the ways in which God has moved, to just continually move forward in our lives and to not reflect back or to share those stories with our kids or our families of how God has provided. 
And so as we were doing this for a season, one of the times my parents were down joining us. And so we had them tell stories of God's provision in their lives. And it was so wonderful to get to hear my dad share a story of a time in which he was on the side of the road and needed a bucket, and God provided a bucket, miraculously provided a bucket. And it was a simple story, and yet it was one that I had not heard. And getting to hear that story of God's provision in my dad's life impacts me and impacts my view of God and his provision. There's an importance and a wisdom in Moses' words to continually tell these stories to our kids, to instruct them in what God has done in our lives and the ways in which we have seen him move so that others may be encouraged, so that others may see God moving in our midst and may learn to look and to pay attention to God moving in their midst as well. Throughout Israel's history, God continually provides for them. God continually watches over them as they go into battle, as they capture cities. I was thinking of one such instance when God provides for Israel in the battle of Rephidim in Exodus 17. Listen to what happened during this battle. Exodus 17, verse 8 says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. The picture painted here of God's provision. It wasn't just the fact that Moses raised his arms as to why Israel won this battle, but it was because God provided, because God intervened. And that was Moses' way of showing that it was God that he gave the glory to as his hands were raised to the heavens as he was dependent upon the Lord rather than upon himself or his men. This Psalm 124 paints a picture of what would have happened if the Lord had not protected Israel and been on their side. We see in verse 3 it says, And they would have been swallowed up alive when the anger of others was kindled against them. They would have been swallowed up alive. This is a picture, uh, imagery of complete defeat that Israel would have had if they had not been protected by the Lord. Verse 4 and 5 give us another image of destruction, saying that Israel's defeat would have been like a flood that swept them away. Not only swept them away, but completely overwhelmed them. Makes you think about when God doesn't hold back judgment in the time of Noah, and he brings about the flood, and the waters sweep over everything that is on earth, except those that God had rescued. The same thing would have happened to Israel. Their enemies would have swept over them. They would have completely destroyed them had the Lord not been on their side. The power of the opposing nations against Israel at times was greater than they were. The strength, the numbers were greater. And in their anger, they would have swept away Israel and completely destroyed her had it not been for the Lord being on their side. 
Well, the psalmist moves the people of Israel from a place of recognizing how they would have been destroyed if the Lord hadn't been on their side to a place of praising and worshiping the Lord for what he has done. In verse 6, it says, Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from a snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. I love that right here in the middle of this psalm, the psalmist calls out, Blessed be the Lord, praising the Lord for what he has done, giving due diligence to make sure that the people of Israel know that it is not by their abilities that they have been saved, but the praise and the honor goes to God alone. This idea of blessed be the Lord brings one to praise the Lord alone. In fact, the Hebrew here gives a definition of kneeling before the Lord in praise. That's what the idea of blessed be the Lord. And when you kneel before one in praise, you also submit yourself to them. You place yourself lower than them. So to call out blessed be the Lord, it's taking the position of submission to the Lord, of kneeling before him, of praising him for the ways in which he has saved them. And then the psalmist provides the imagery of two figures here that could have brought destruction. The savage beast that could have brought destruction upon Israel if the Lord had not protected them, and a fowler. You see there in verse 6, it says that they could have been given as prey to their teeth, a beast that would tear one apart, just like the enemies of Israel that would have torn her apart if it wouldn't have been for the Lord's protection. And a fowler, I had to look up what a fowler is. Perhaps you are familiar with this word. I was not, but a fowler is a hunter of birds, which makes sense when it talks about the snare and the trap being used. So it says, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. So a fowler, one who hunts birds, would set these traps for birds. Then when the birds went in, they would get snared in them or they would have a net over them and they would not be able to escape. The bird often enters unaware of the danger that is present and the snare is used to capture them. They're at the mercy of the fowler. It reminds them of the times in which Israel perhaps had found themselves in difficult scenarios, trapped, or times they found that they would not be able to escape without God's intervention, seemingly captured or defeated by an enemy if it hadn't been for the Lord giving them escape, for the Lord intervening for the Lord being on their sides. These would be times that Israel would have been unable to save themselves, and yet God gave them relief. Reminds me of Gideon when he goes and fights with so few men, in a way in which the credit can only go to God, because Gideon, with those men, as they were weeded down by the Lord to give glory to God alone, it was only by God being on their side that they were able to win that battle. And this is why we see the praise for the Lord here in this psalm. Not only for his protection, but for his rescue when they needed him. And the psalm wraps up with verse 8, this beautiful phrase, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. What a beautiful journey this psalm takes us on. From a call to remember the Lord being on our side, the deliverance that he has given the praise and worship we are to give the Lord, the ways in which he's rescued Israel, and then the reminder of where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord. And not just the Lord, but the maker of heaven and the earth. The one who created all is on the side of Israel. And that's why no one was able to defeat them when the Lord was on their side. 
when they were seeking after the Lord, when they were following the Lord and he was battling with them, they were victorious as God saw them through. I found it interesting to learn that there was a time when French Protestants would always begin their public worship service with this verse, with verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. What a good reminder as you come to worship to remember who it is that we are worshiping. That we are not worshiping a made-up God or a made-up image by society, but that we are worshiping the one true God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Such a comforting and encouraging verse to close out this psalm with. A reminder that even through our trials, that our help comes from the Lord alone. It can be easy, as we've talked about, to think that we can get our own way, that we can provide our way when we need it. That we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and if we just work hard enough, if we just apply ourselves, if we study enough, if we're smart enough, if we give enough time to the projects that are ahead of us, that we can accomplish what we want. And yet, the importance to refocus ourselves upon the Lord, to remember that it is in the Lord alone that we are to seek to live. This psalm has pointed our eyes to the Lord as the one that we can look to when we need help the one who rescues, the one in whom we can find our strength in. So the question is left, how do we find our strength in the Lord? And I want to suggest three ways that you can practice that this week and going forward. The first is to remember the Lord's work, to remember what the Lord has done both in Scripture, in your lives and in the lives of those around us, and the lives of this church, the ways in which the Lord has worked. When we place our trust in the Lord and when we follow him with our lives, we become his people. He cares for us. He journeys with us. He watches over us. He is at work in our lives in important ways. And sometimes we need to pause and remember how he is at work. The deliverance that the Lord has given to you in your life. The ways in which he has led you in your life. The blessings that he has bestowed upon you throughout your life. The victories that he has won for you. Those times when he has broken sin in your life as you submitted to him. And the encouragement that he has given to you. These times of remembrance will help ground us in who we are and who Christ is. Which is such an important aspect of living in light of the Lord. To remember who we are and who the Lord is that he is the one in control, that he is the one to be worshipped, that he is the one to be followed at all costs. So we must start by remembering the Lord's work in our lives. The second thing to do is that if you need deliverance, to turn to Christ. There are so many places that we're told in this society to turn to if you need deliverance. And there's many different things we can need deliverance from. Perhaps you find yourself in a difficult situation that you need deliverance from, or perhaps you're wrestling with a habitual sin that you just can't seem to break the pattern in your life. If you want deliverance, if you want freedom, you won't find it by buying the greatest self-help book at Barnes & Noble. You won't find it just by meditating alone. You won't find it by exercising more or by throwing away your computer if that's an issue. You'll find deliverance in the Lord alone. I love the story of a missionary, John Payton, who was a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands. And one night, 
as they were there, hostile natives surrounded the mission station, intent on burning it down with the Paytons inside and killing them. As Peyton was inside with his wife, they prayed during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. And when daylight came, they were amazed to watch their attackers leave. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christianity. Remembering what had happened, Peyton asked the chief what had kept them from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, Who were all those men with you there? And Peyton knew no men were present, but the chief said that he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. God's deliverance. God's deliverance when we focus upon Him, when we turn to Him. And there are times in our lives when we experience the deliverance of the Lord. There are times when we can see it in a very real way and we know God moved there and God delivered me. And there are times that we trust the Lord to deliver us and we don't see what's happening. And yet we know that God is at work. Most importantly, we were delivered from the wages of sin, which is death. As Jesus came to earth, as Christ died for us upon the cross and rose again, defeating death. That was the ultimate deliverance that you and I were given. Deliverance from death and the gift of eternal life as Jesus Christ saves us and redeems us and draws us to himself to eternity. That is the ultimate deliverance. No matter what happens here on earth, no matter what trials we face, no matter what difficulties we have to endure, we have been delivered by Christ. And so we can celebrate that ultimate deliverance and we can continue to look to Christ to deliver us in the here and now and to trust him in that as well. The last thing is to have a confidence in Christ, remembering that Christ is on your side. We can know that Christ is our deliverer. We can trust that he is on our side, finding our confidence in who he is and what the Lord has done through Christ and what the Lord is doing in our lives as we follow after him. I love how English pastor, scholar, theologian John Gill puts it when reflecting upon Christ on our side. And this is what he says. Christ is on their side. He is surely for them. The Savior of them has taken their part against all their spiritual enemies, sin, Satan, the world, and death. He has engaged them and conquered them. He is the captain of their salvation, their king at the head of them that protects and defends them and is their friend in the court of heaven, their advocate and interceding high priest there who pleads their cause against Satan and obtains every blessing for them. The Spirit of Jehovah is on their side to carry on his work in them, to assist them in their prayers and their supplications, to secure them from Satan's temptations, to set up a standard for them when the enemy comes in like a flood upon them, and to comfort them in all their casting down, to work them up for and bring them safe to heaven. But were this not the case, what would become of them? You see, Christ on our side changes everything. It should change how we approach this life. It should change how we approach sickness, our fear of death, our stress, our anxiety levels, our ability to stand in the face of opposition, and our ability to live in light of the gospel. All of it should be changed because of the fact that Christ is with us. 
All of this is greatly impacted by the confidence that we can have knowing that Christ is with us, knowing that the Lord is on our side and that he fights for us today. Psalm 124 was written to remind the people of Israel the great ways in which the Lord was on their side, the great ways in which the Lord had helped them and rescued them and redeemed them. So let it do the same for you today. When you find yourself discouraged, because you will, may you recall all the ways in which the Lord has worked in your life. May you remember that He alone is the one who will keep you. And may you praise Him for all that He has done and for Him being on your side and ultimately for Him redeeming you. And may all praise be His alone. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for these words of David this morning and the reminder, Lord, of you being on our side and all that you have done in our midst. And so, Lord, we praise you. We praise you for who you are, for the fact that you are Lord of lords and King of kings, that there is no one like you, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Lord, forgive us for those times in which we have forgotten the ways in which you have moved and we have relied upon ourselves or upon this world. Lord, may you restore us to be living in light of the truth of who you are. Lord, may our lives be based upon the foundation of you in all areas of our lives. And Lord, may we never forget the ways in which you have moved in our midst. And may we never forget the redemption that we have in you. But may it lead to lives that are changed completely. Lives that live each and every day for you. Lord, may you protect us and watch over us until that day when you gather us up to you and to your presence in eternity. We praise you and we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.